Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How you doing there? It's David. I hope you're kind of getting over the whole American election malarkey. But it's, uh, as I say in economics, it's got a long tail. I'll explain that in a minute. John's looking at me very skeptically about long tails. Like, what are you talking about, man? More, more of these kind of phrases jargony stuff because you know the whole the whole thing in this podcast is we're trying to make economics that little bit more comprehensible that little bit we haven't said this for a while that little bit easier to digest but ultimately more relevant to all of our lives how's your tale Uh, my tale is good thanks very much it's (laughs) It's yours it's great what's on your mind my friend oh man i tell you after all the shenanigans of last week it's kind of wearing a bit thin on me now. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You it need, really is, yeah. You need a double header Let's of, just get on with it. Let's, yeah. get, let's get to work, as they say. Let's get to work. No, it is, No, it, it is. but the and problem actually, is, John, your man has 70 days still in the White House. Anything can happen. He yeah. can't be removed. Like, he doesn't have to leave yeah. the gaff. It's like, it's like a really bad... Could you imagine, like, a really bad tenant who's been given, yeah. <laughs> who's been given his notice and he says... Fuck this. For a game of cowboys, I'm going to wreck the gaff. His place is booby trapped beyond belief. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, your week's been good. You've just been glued to Fox and all that kind of thing. I love Fox. Although I've had enough of it now. I've had enough of it all, to be honest. But actually, talking about getting to work, I was reading recently that the unemployment figures are quite shocking. Yeah. I mean, John. How they're skewed. Well, I think what what I want to talk today about unemployment because actually economics doesn't talk enough about unemployment. And also, number one, number two, unemployment in Ireland has gone from around 4%, which was the lowest ever, to 22%, which is the highest ever. So you have more people on the dole now looking for a cheque from the government than any other time in our history. Yeah. And the thing about unemployment, John, is that if you know a family or an individual or somebody close to you who has been made unemployed, who has been told they are redundant, they are Mm. no longer uh, relevant, they are no longer productive, what actually happens is much, much greater than a kick to income, right? We know that obviously people's incomes, but unemployment destroys people. And it destroys them from yeah. the inside out. Yeah, absolutely. It, it brings up all sorts of deep, deep psychological issues and emotional issues about 
relevance, about fragility, about depression, about self-worth. You know, you're actually yeah, destroyed from the inside yeah. out. Well, as they say, kind of work kind of defines you. Yeah. And uh, what, what happens when people are made unemployed, and certainly later in their life, and this is what I want to talk about, because this is the big change in Ireland, mm. we'll get on to this, that a lot of their whole self-identity, which, as you say, is not just defined by, but their, their self-worth is taken away from them. And I, I, I know that unemployment, I know because my dad lost his job when, yeah. when, when he was in his mid-40s. So that's when you're at a stage in your life where you have your family, you have your house. Think about it, right? Your things are, you're in command and you're in control. Are you, you think you are. Yeah. And if that's taken away from you, uh, I, I remember in my own case, knowing I knew that my, he explained to me later that my dad, who you knew very well, and you mm, knew for years, yeah, did, yeah. used to put on a shirt and tie and pretend to go to work so that our neighbours, like your mom and the people yeah. beside us, didn't know because of the stigma of losing your job. Now, this again was in the late 70s yeah. when losing your job in Ireland then, the chances of getting another one were actually very slim. Yeah. They because were, we had absolutely. this endemic unemployment. In fairness, my father did find another another job after about two years. But those two-year periods... that long? Two years? Yeah, I mean, I was only about 10, John, but I remember it distinctly. I remember the vibe in our house. I remember the, the whole tone of our house changing. Yeah, there was I, just a cloud over it. It's the... a cloud, and I remember him trying to continue to be the man of the house and him trying to continue to be the dad and all that sort of stuff. But there was there was a lot of... Thankfully, thankfully, our house was, you know, as you knew, a pretty happy house, right? Mm. But, uh, and, and there were enough strong personalities mm. there yeah, to yeah, carry yeah. the whole thing through. But I do have this deep understanding of what it does because I saw it in my own father. Have uh, you ever been unemployed? Sure, I'm always unemployed. I can't yeah, get a job. I know, I know but, but, but I know you've been fired about a million times. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Well, like, you know, I, yeah, we see, again, maybe, <laughs> now this is an interesting point you make before we talk about the podcast. My pathological fear of a boss might stem from that. So the reason that I'm always work for myself, yeah. you know, I did do the big banking jobs for a while, but in, in the last 20 years, I've never, ever wanted to be dependent on anyone. So yeah. I've always preferred to, as you know, plow my own furrow. Now, mm. that may well stem. It may well stem for some sort of echo of that experience my father had, right? Yeah. And the last thing I ever want, John, is for some stuffed shirt middle management geezer to say, you're not relevant anymore. You're not worth yeah. it. You're redundant. Yeah. And that that is a, something deep inside me. And it probably is an echo of, of, say, of what yeah. I saw, you know? Yeah. Um, it's also probably an echo of the fact that I can hardly hold down a job. <laughs> <laughs> unemployable right? yeah I am unemployable yeah. but it is a deep thing so no I you, understand because I mean I went you know you, throughout you, micro you, you're, you're the same as me you've been freelancing for yeah I've years. kind of jumped in and out of, of different jobs but I have to say I much prefer looking after myself yeah and I, I you know looking after yourself it, it takes a certain type of personality to do that mm. but I always remember I remember being like kind of fired, high-profile firings from, you know, kind of public jobs, like radio jobs and TV jobs. I and what I, always, well. and I, what I always love about them is, in actual fact, you, you gain a huge inner strength when you know you're just on your own. So I remember being, and I won't, I won't name names because they're still in the business, right? Yeah. And then they're coming up and they're saying, well, it's not you, it's me. It's like breaking up with somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like saying, 
grow a pear, man. Fire me. You know, let's let's go to court. Let's let's see this out. Like let you know, yeah. let's have a scrap. But don't give me this corporate speak about the you know bullshit about revenues and this, that, and the other, you know? But that all stems from maybe my childhood experience. However, what it does make me is really alert to the fact that unemployment, that economists have this problem, John, is that we have a weakness what I've called, for aggregation. So we put everything, we, we forget that every statistic is a person. Mm. Every statistic is a family. Mm. Every yeah. statistic yeah. is a set of relations. Every statistic is not just a person, but it's a damaged person. It's a hurt person. It's a person who can get angry because of the situation. And, and you know, we're, we're great for quoting here. I'm going to quote a bit of Tolstoy. Oh, man, Tolstoy. Yeah, me, you, Anna Karenina and the whole thing, right? <laughs> but Tolstoy, Leo Tolstoy said something beautiful about, you know, because I think that unemployment can create profound unhappiness and can destroy relationships and families. And he said about families, he said, all happy families are the same. Meaning all happy families are more or less the same. Mm. But he said, each unhappy family is unhappy in a different specific way. And I think that's a beautiful thing that, you know. They all have their own particular issues. There are issues that come up. And I think unemployment can trigger a whole host of other issues Mm. that were dormant. And are not. And then when I so when I see as a result of COVID the rate of unemployment here going from five to twenty percent, what I'm looking is I'm looking at five hundred thousand. So the actual amount of unemployed has gone from about hundred and eleven thousand people yeah. to about five hundred thousand. Now I'm looking at those five hundred thousand stories, those five hundred thousand individuals, the families, and I'm thinking what we have to do in Ireland when this thing passes, right? Yeah. Is put at the absolute center of economic policy, the objective of bringing unemployment right down to as low as we can do because of the social, emotional and psychological consequences of it. Am, am I naive in thinking, though, that, I mean, I've thought throughout this whole COVID period is that this is all just temporary and it'll be fine. Once it passes, we'll all be back to yeah. where we were. Yeah, but yeah, are you yeah. saying that it's not? Well, I'm just thinking, John, you know, I... Really, done, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, and I very, and even the podcast and whenever I was on TV or doing, you know, newspaper stuff, I wanted to suggest that we were putting the economy to sleep. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah, we yeah. would spend money. But the problem is that businesses that close down don't sometimes reopen. Mm. And the reason they don't sometimes reopen is the individuals who start the businesses, they run out of steam. They actually run out of, yeah. you know, it takes, a, you know, doing what we do, yeah. The juggling stuff, right? It takes a huge amount of energy to do that, yeah. right? So a lot of people, you know, they can't pay the rent, they lose their customers, they lose their suppliers, they lose their credit lines, and they just think... Well, well as you said before, it's it's kind of, it's not running out of money as such, it's running out of time. Yeah, you run out of time. You yeah. run out of time, and then you also... So so my fear is, and it is a, is a fear, is that the medium-term impact of covid will be a higher level of unemployment than is necessary. That's the point. Right. And the economics profession will not understand that this is the most urgent thing to fix. Because, you know, what, what annoys me about, about economists is that they talk about things that don't matter, like debt ratios and, and you know, rates of inflation that don't exist, there is no mm. inflation, and budget deficits that are eminently financeable, and debt ratios that are financeable. You know, all these things that we can figure out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Economists yeah. get concerned about it. Why? Because most economists work for somebody else. 
right? right the yeah. vast majority work in a university or a bank or an institution or this sort of thing. So they don't wake up in the morning thinking, how am I going to figure this stuff out? And the vast majority of economists never made unemployed. So they don't understand what it's like for somebody to say to you, on Monday morning, you have no idea what you're doing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There's a good part of this story, John, which is the following, which is that Ireland, amazingly, in the last 10 years, has been one of the most spectacularly brilliant job creators in Europe, right? The question is, about you know, when we were young, they always talk about job creation because unemployment was very, very yeah, high, right? Yeah. But we know that nobody sets up a business to create a job. You set up a business to create a product. Yeah, and hopefully sure, that product sure, sells, yeah. right? Yeah. And if that product sells and there's demand for that product, that maybe, maybe, then you'll think, well, I'll employ somebody else and somebody else. Yeah. So employment is the end result of a good product, Okay, yes. it's yeah, not yeah, yeah. the start, right? Yeah. And I think, again, we've got to think in this way. So in order to get the economy going and get the rate of unemployment down, we've got to actually make sure that small businesses are vibrant. And the reason small businesses are important is that right now, all around the Western world, is large businesses are destroying jobs and small businesses are creating jobs. And not only small businesses, but small young businesses, i.e. businesses that are only two or three years. Explain this to me then about the, the large businesses. Well, so this is a huge, crucial thing. In the past, okay, remember the good job in the bank or the good job in, you <laughs> yeah. know, the ESB or the yeah. good job in IBM yeah. or whatever. Always right? doing very well. Always he's got a pensionable job. Yeah, he's got a permanent pensionable job. He's got a lovely suit on him, right? <laughs> he works for IBM or, you know, works for one of those big yeah. jobs, right? Okay, or, or in Ireland, it used to be the banks. The bank, right? yeah, it was always okay. the bank. Right? The bink. In the bink, exactly. In the old days, that was the way forward. Now, the most risky place to be is to be a middle manager in a large corporation. They are destroying jobs. So what you yeah. see is they shred jobs all the time. Where you actually want to be is in a young company that's enthusiastic, that's got an idea of where it's going, that is growing. So small and young is what is creating jobs all over the Western mm. world, right? But So that's one thing to think about. The second thing to think about is those companies have been really flourishing in Ireland in the last 10 years. So Irish 
employment, okay, think about employment, yeah. was in 2010, was 1.8 million people working here. Okay, right? yeah. Just before COVID hit, just before, there was 2.3 million people working here. So that means we created half a million jobs in 10 years. Now, we didn't create half a million jobs. We created lots of young companies that employed right, people eventually, right, right. right? Yeah, yeah. Now, if you contrast, so that's a 27% increase in employment in 10 years in this country. Phenomenal performance. Yeah, that is incredible. You contrast that with France and Italy. The Italians, we created 27% increase in jobs. The Italians have created 2% in the last 10 years. Wow. The French, 5%. Even the Brits, and they talk about their employment, friendly, you know, flexible mm. economy. Yeah they created 10%. So Ireland is a growth freak when it comes to job creation. Yeah. And the reason it is, is because coming up from the bottom are these young, new companies. And of course, we have the multinationals that employ disproportionately more here than anywhere else, right? Yeah. But they employ young people, right? People with certain skills that they need. Yeah. So what we've seen, so the good news is we can do it. The bad news is we're not being urgent enough about the need to do this. This is my, my, my fear. Right, right, right. Because, as I said, economists who advise the government, talk to the government, don't have that rawness, that hurt, that sense that this is important. But there is a huge change going on here, John. Right, so I said to you, the amount of jobs created has been quite phenomenal. Yeah. Which is, should give us cause for optimism. Yeah, yeah. But there is one thing that is quite worrying. And it's very worrying, actually. And it's the shift in long-term unemployment. Now, I'm looking at figures before COVID. So COVID is unusual. Okay. Yeah. So we're hoping to get back to where we were. Remember your worry? Yeah. In February 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we get back to February 2020, we have to look at the data. And the data is telling us something quite worrying, which is the following, John. That long-term unemployment, that's unemployed over one year. The reason this is important is because the longer you're unemployment, the less likely you are to ever have a job yeah. again. Yeah. Right? This is really important because if you, you always know the old adage, it's easier to get a job from a job. From a job. Right. Yeah, so yeah. so you have a yeah. gig, you go to somewhere else, right? When you're unemployed, first few months, eh, you know, he or she, well, that was bad luck. After six months, hmm, after eight months, and after a year, the person is saying, the employer saying, I wonder what's wrong with this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a big gap in the CV. Yeah, what have what they been, been doing, doing right? Yeah. So the vast majority of people have been fucking desperate, right? That's what they've been doing, right? They've been trying to hold body and soul together, Yeah. okay? I mean, you know friends and we know friends. Yeah, we absolutely. all know this, right? So the reason long-term unemployment is important is there is a thing called sclerosis in economics. Okay. So that was in the liver. It is in the liver, but it's the same idea. You and I clearly have this, right? Okay. But it's slowly, it's when your, what they call human capital becomes degraded, right? Yeah. So basically the stuff you were able to do five years ago, you're not able to do anymore. You do, you're not, you're not a part of the technology. You're not mm. part of what's going on, etc. That's the thing. There's another thing called hysteresis in economics. I mean, these are big words, okay? Oh, man, and hysteresis words. is the, hysteresis, of course, from the Greeks, it's, it's the permanence of unemployment when it remains a problem. So a country that has long-term unemployment just can't get out of it. Yeah. And the reason it can't get out of it is, is the employers don't want to employ and the employees lose the skills they had. And this can last for years and years and years. So we've got to profoundly avoid that. Now, if we look at the data and in Ireland, the worrying thing is 
the long-term unemployed used to be young people. That has flipped completely in 10 years, and they are now older people. So half of long-term unemployed people in Ireland are over 45. It's not simply due to technology. No. And, and you know, kind of more out of touch. There's a couple of things going on, but I just, I'm going to give you all the figures, right? Yeah, yeah, go on. So in 2010, right, when the last recession hit, 6% of the long-term unemployed were over 60, so between 60 and 65, right? right? That figure is now 20%, right? Wow, okay. Then... 20% of the long-term unemployed were be under the age of 25. Now it's 7%. So it's been a total flip. So basically what you've seen is if you're young, this is before COVID, right? Yeah. If you're young, your chances of being unemployed were very, very small. Yeah. But now if you're old, your chances of being unemployed are very, very high, right? And again, what you see is unemployment in, in people in the 50s is, is much higher than it was. And in the late 40s, is much higher than it was. So what we're seeing is a complete shift in unemployment. Why is this? The first thing is that what we're seeing in old companies, right, is they're laying off expensive staff. So what used to happen is the person joined those big companies and and even smallish companies, and companies had loyalty, Mm. and you got to your... What you got the carriage clock at the age of 65 and off you went, right? That's not happening anymore, right? It's the first thing. Second thing is during the last 10 years, because interest rates have been very, very low, right? When interest rates are very, very low, what you tend to see is an explosion, huge explosion in mergers and acquisitions, right? Okay, right. And the reason is the following. Mergers and acquisitions of companies are always financed by debt. So if debt is inexpensive, if interest rates are low, Right? right, The managers of these companies, the financial officers will say, hey, look, I work at Vodafone, let's say, and I'm looking at Air or 3 or one of these companies. Yeah, yeah. And we want their market share. In the past, when interest rates were high, it was prohibitive for those companies to borrow loads of money, take over the other company and merge them together. Yeah. When interest rates are very, very low, which was the case in the last 10 years, you see an explosion in M&A right? Mergers and acquisitions. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now this has profound implications for middle management because when you put two big companies together who are more or less doing the same thing, let's say telephones, for example. Yeah. I'm using this for an example. Yeah, sure, sure. They're doing the same thing, the same product, the same structures, everything. The only way that that merger can be made legitimate is if the profits of the new entity are higher than the combined profits of the two old entities. Yeah. So how do you do that? You put them together, you cut costs. Well, there's bound to be a certain amount of duplication in, in yeah, roles. So, exactly, yeah, exactly. So, you, so, you know, filter that out. So, basically, you take one team that was a sales team from one mobile phone company yeah. and you let them all go. You make yeah. them redundant. So, the very act of MA, mergers and acquisitions, has as its consequence the unemployment of lots of people. Because if you look at a big service firm, yeah, right? By far and away, the biggest cost are people. Yeah. So, and particularly the the, the more senior they and are, the more senior they yeah, are, the yeah. more expensive they are. Yeah. So, what we're seeing is that the the downside of M and A, and by the way, there's only upside for the owners. This is the shareholder capital right. bullshit that I yeah can't stand. Right. But the downside of M and A is always shouldered by the workers in these companies yeah. because that's how they cut costs. The way in which those financiers justify it is they say, well, 
the shareholder value has increased. Yeah. So consequently, the share price has increased, right? The profit yeah. has increased. Yeah. So therefore, the owners of the company do well. But the owners of the company are only a tiny, tiny minority of everybody who has a stake in that company. Of course, yeah. You know, the consumers, the retailers, whatever. But because of this ideology that was actually largely invented by a fellow I used to work for, Jack Welch. So he was going from General Electric. Yeah, who actually died not, not that long ago, a couple of months ago. Yeah. I, I got on really, really well with him. I was still in contact with him up until till recently. Um, what happened was I was asked, he, he asked me to MC his book tour in <laughs> about, about 20 years ago now, right? right? Yeah. And I was a young fella and yada, yada, yada. And so I used to go around with him to, to, to do Q&As when yeah. he was flogging the book. Why do you and pick I, you? Uh, just grace, now, oh, yeah, yeah, extraordinary yeah, sorry. ability. Stupid question. Yeah. Fucking cheap. Why do you think? <laughs> exactly. I had no gig. I needed a gig, right? Anyway, the point was, he came up with this idea of shareholder value, which was that nothing matters for a company as long as it makes profits. Yeah. And he was, his nickname was Neutron Jack. Right. And the reason it was Neutron Jack was, do you remember in the 1960s and 70s, the Americans were trying to, and the Russians were trying to devise Madly, when you think of it, a bomb oh, yes. killed people but left the... Yeah, the neutron infra- bomb. Yeah, it left yeah, the yeah. infrastructure standing. Yeah. But it killed all the people. <laughs> think about how mad that was, right? So he was called Neutron Jack because after he'd visited a GE company, let's say somewhere in America, a branch of GE, yeah. the company would exist with no people in it because he fired everyone. Jesus. Right? Yeah. And he had this crazy idea of the top 10. And it was all, as long as the shareholders are so Exactly. And this would yeah. drive up the profit. Yeah. Right? Drive up the profit, reduce profoundly the costs, and the share price would go up. Now, of course, he also was part of a movement that made sure that all the managers and senior decision makers were rewarded by share options. Mm. So they had an interest in driving the shareholder, the share price up, personal interest. And yeah. consequently, their communal sense of custodian responsibility to their workforce was totally compromised. Yeah. And I believe it's just, it's one of the most disastrous policies that the corporate world has followed in the last 30 years. It's, it's, it's always amazed me how, you know, companies operating under the tyranny of margins. Yeah. So if costs are rising, get rid of the costs as long as you keep those margins. Absolutely. You know? Well, John, I mean, the whole thing about economics, and, and it's called the business cycle. Mm. It's called a cycle for a reason, right? Things go up, they go down, they go up, they go down, right? If you keep a constant margin, what you will find is that when revenues dovetail in a downturn, when they start to decri- decline, mm. your margin will decrease. Yeah. If you respond to this by firing people, what you will find is a natural tendency to gut the institution, to gut the organization of people, right? Now, the problem is those guys go on to the long-term unemployed. Yeah. If they get a job after a few months, great. But if they're on the live register for too long, they become unemployable. Mm. So this is the whole point. So that at the core of capitalism is this inconsistency. And it's been driven for a long, long time by this shareholder value. Now, luckily in a country like Ireland, right, we didn't have that many big companies, thankfully. Yeah. And we've had this vibrancy of small companies, thankfully, which has basically allowed the labor market to work. But that's what we thought because we were just looking at the aggregate level of unemployment. Yeah. But now that I've dug deeper into the data, what we see is that the people who are shouldering the burden of adjustment, the people who are actually paying for all this, 
are the middle-aged and the older. Right. And that has huge ramifications for the society. Well, I was going to say, so apart from the individual itself, what, what are the long-term effects of right. long-term unemployment, particularly in that age group? Well, you know, John, you quite like the Fox News. I you quite well, like I did. <laughs> exactly. But you remember you were talking the other day about Fox News and the ads on Fox News. Yes. Yeah, all yeah. directed at elderly people. Yeah. So what happens in a society if the long-term rate of unemployment skews towards the older, the middle age and the older? Mm. Naturally, they get very angry. They get very pissed off. And it's a, it's a thing we know in psychology, in all human psychology, that you're much more likely to be angry if you had something and you lose it than if you never yeah, had anything. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. So the difference between a 20-year-old on the dole and a 55-year-old on the dole is profound, right? The 55-year-old who lost their job, has lost their stake. That makes you very angry. And you kick out and you hit out at who you think is responsible, right? Mm. Whereas the 20-year-old, there is a sense of, well, you know, I've got another 50 years to fix this, yeah. right? So, you, But they never had it in the first place as well. Precisely. So you, so, you don't miss it. Yeah. So, so what happens is, and I think that this is the important message, right? an interesting message, right? We talked about Trump and we talked about the right wing in America and the, this sort of make... America great again. Now think about MAGA. Think about the idea. Mm. It's an evocative, nostalgic idea that there was a time when America was was great. great. Okay? So it's it's appealing to a certain type of person who's lost something that they had. Right? Mm. We know that America is usually about 10 years ahead of Europe in economic and business trends. So what happens over there kind of is repeated here but about a five or 10 year gap. Yeah, it's in the post. It's like, you're absolutely right. It's in the post. So what I'm saying is that what has happened in America is all that mergers and acquisitions, all those huge, huge company and conglomerations mm. coming together left this extraordinary amount of unemployed, middle-aged, middle-management people, yeah. right? Also, technological change is affecting their ability to both work, but it's also affecting the older companies' ability to fight the new companies. Yes, of course. Right? So you see there's a gradual, gradual yeah. tendency for the old companies. This is the the idea of the gale of relentless creative destruction. The trumpeter. Exactly. But the political cost of that is the Trump rallies, is the disenfranchised, is the white, middle-aged, middle-class angry man. But his his fears are real. Now, if you look at the data in Ireland, it looks to me that we are just starting this process. And that's the thing. So we will have, the data don't lie, we will have this constituency here in four or five years' time who are angry, middle-class, formerly middle-class, middle-aged men in the main who find themselves being told that they are redundant. So who's going to be the Trump? Well, apart from yourself, John, I'm not too sure. (laughs) I can see it. But what I'm saying is the Trump constituency doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from somewhere. It is the political fallout of an economic choice made by capitalism. That's something we've got to appreciate. Right. And we're seeing the same trends play out here. Nobody's talking about it because nobody does the nerdy thing I do, which is to look at the data and dig a bit yeah. deeper. And then, you know, that's the sort of stuff I like. But unless we see a flourishing of entrepreneurial initiative in the middle-aged, which you see in some parts of America, okay, that they start companies as we get older, yep. okay, right? We are going to see 
a very fertile constituency for anger here from those people. I mean, again, I'll come back. Half the people who are long-term unemployed in this country are over 45. So between 45 and 65. And they're the people watching Fox. Well, let us come back to it. But I'm just put you on warning that what we saw in America is happening right here, right now, in front of our eyes. Now, while I have you, while I have your ear, if you like the podcast, if you like what John and I are doing, if you like the stories, you like the research, if you want to learn economics, if you want to do a twice a month bespoke tutorial called Ask Mac, if you want to do the any questions and you want to listen and, and ask us questions, by all means, we would love to hear from you. So support us on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. It's probably the best few quid you're going to spend. 